So there's two guarantees in life. What are the two guarantees in life? Anybody know? What are they? Tax. You don't even care about death. You like just taxes. Uh, yeah. Ta- how many of you like taxes? Just out of curiosity. No. All right. You you like them? Yeah. Taxes are are so frustrating. Um, and I, I think that, um, you know, when, when I was younger, I remember uh, I had this funny story about how I actually got involved in ministry. <laughs> and uh, so, like, I, um, I graduated high school and I started doing, um, I started working at a church. I was, I was basically doing an internship when I was 18 and I was going to Bible college and, you know, trying to figure out life. And I took a small break, and I decided, like, I was going to get a job. And so we were living in Wisconsin, and um, one of the jobs that paid pretty decent in our community was at a cheese factory. So I went and applied, and I got this job, and I, I was, you know, going to become a cheesemaker, which meant I could eat cheese all day long, so I thought it was a pretty good deal. And, uh, but I was, I was filling out all the paperwork, and I found out I had to be a part of the union, and I was like, I don't even know what that means. And, uh, and, I, and I remember looking at this tax form because you had to fill it out, you know, and I had no idea. But I remember they were telling me, like, well, do you want to give a lot of money now or do you want to give a lot of money later? And I was like, okay, well, how about I give the least amount, period. Um, you know, but it was funny because that job ended up being like I did one day and I was learning how to make cheese curds and I was doing all this stuff and eating cheese curds. And I remember this guy um, sweeping a broom came over to me and he's like, he's like, oh, so you just started this job. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to work here uh, for a little bit of time and then I'm going to go back to college. And he's like, yeah, 60 years I said the same thing. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, oh my gosh. And he's like, if I were you, if I were you, I'd get out of here. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I went immediately to the manager and I was like, I don't think this is for me. <laughs> and I like totally quit this job. And then I went back to Bible college and the rest is, is history. But, uh, but it was interesting that the taxes thing, because taxes are, I think what frustrates me the most about taxes is not so much paying taxes. It's that I feel like I'm not sure our taxes go anywhere. Like, I mean, do you ever feel like when you're driving around on roads and there's just potholes everywhere, you're like, what is going on here, right? Anybody feel that way? Yeah. This is frustrating. And so I know like, you know, our whole entire country started, you know, partly because we were frustrated with, taxa- with taxation without representation, right? And so taxes are, I don't know, it just gets, I can't stand them. But I was reading this article recently and it was actually a British tabloid, um, the Daily the Daily Mail, uh, who was doing a, uh, a study on go- governmental waste. And I, I thought it was hilarious because I don't know about you, but I feel like that, especially these days, needs to be a conversation that we have, <laughs> right? Right? Let the readers read. Uh, but, like, we have all this governmental spending that happens in... And so this article was interesting because what they were doing is they were studying in England all these different places and ways that money that was gained by taxes was being wasted, um, you know, in, in society. And, and this is an interesting story, though, uh, and it came out um, over in the UK in this, in this magazine called uh, The Daily Mail. But just listen to this story, okay? So um, what happens is there's this pastor's wife who's in a wheelchair. That's what the story's about. This is the example of governmental waste. 
Um, and there's this pastor's wife who's in a wheelchair and she has a disability. She, she can't walk. And um, I've had friends with uh, disabilities and and it's interesting because if you are in a wheelchair, um, it's, it, you just have a lot of challenges in life. In fact, one of my best friends at one time, really close friend, or I should say, uh, in our family was a person with a wheelchair. And it was hilarious because she had this disease that, um, this isn't hilarious, by the way, saying the way it was, she was treated was hilarious, very clear. But she, would, she was, had this disease that was called, it, it was basically a a brittle bone disease where she, her bones would break really easy. And so she was in a wheelchair and people would walk up to her and they would talk really super loud to her all the time because they assumed that since she's in a wheelchair, she's deaf. And she's like, I can hear you just fine. Why are you yelling at me the whole time? You know, and there are all these little things that she had to put up with because I think in, in society, we oftentimes, we just make a lot of assumptions. Would you agree? make a lot of assumptions. So anyway, um, so I know people who are in wheelchairs, a lot of challenges. Well, this particular person, a pastor's wife in a wheelchair, and she's receiving disability. And so in, in England, every month she gets this, this, uh, this check given to her. And so what happens is she ends up going to a Christian conference. And she's at this conference, and she's hearing about you know, um, the kingdom of God and God's, um, you know, desire to bring healing and restoration. And so she, you know, wheels herself up to the front of this conference and she gets prayer and then she is miraculously healed, like completely miraculously healed to where she no longer needs the wheelchair. So she goes home and she folds it up and she puts it into her closet and She's like, you know, really happy about it because she's um, seen an answer to her prayers and she stops taking painkillers shortly after this. I mean, she is completely, miraculously, supernaturally healed. And it's like the most beautiful thing. But she keeps getting these checks. And, it, and it, every month she's getting a check and she, so she finally is like, all right, I got to do something about this. So she contacts the government and she, she says, hey, listen, um, I just wanted to let you know I don't need these checks anymore. I'm actually able to go back to work. I went to a conference and I got prayer and I was miraculously healed. And so this is the quote of this article that I think is so hilarious. The British government continues to send her checks though. Okay, and the reason why is because, and I quote, the government computer wasn't programmed to allow the payments to end until her death. There was no button to push that says miracle. <laughs> and so she just kept getting paychecks uh, because they had no way of ending that. And, and I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but um, if you're in need of a miracle, I think it's important for us to acknowledge that God still does miracles, Amen. He's still doing miracles, and you know, um, I think that's partly why we gather together is to look and, and seek after and pursue God's presence, and when he's present and made known to us, oftentimes he graces us and, and, and responds to those petitions and does miraculous things. And so here's what I want to do before we jump into today's message. Um, I don't know what miracles you need. Like, I really don't. I have no idea. Maybe you need a leg to grow or, you know, maybe you need a paycheck to come in the mail or maybe you need the government to stop sending you money so you can go get a job. <laughs> just saying, right? But whatever miracle you need, could we just pray for a moment? And this is what I'm going to ask you to do. If, you, if you're in need of a miracle, if you're like, hey, I need, I need some type of miraculous thing to happen in my life, whatever it is. I'm just going to ask you to stand up right now. We're not going to ask you what it is. We're just going to say, hey, we're going to pray for that. So is there anybody in this room that says, I need a miracle? Okay. 
and the rest of you are lying <laughs> or unaware. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask for the kingdom of God to come right now. And so, Lord, I, I just thank you for your presence right now. And, Lord, I, I first of all just want to say thank you for all of these people who are courageously willing to, to stand up and say, yes, Lord, I need a miracle. I need to be touched by you and your presence and your grace. And so, Lord, for every single need that's being represented right now, would you graciously pour out your spirit? Would you provide above our wildest imaginations? Would you bring healing where healing is needed? That right now physical ailments would be removed and that you would, you would bring healing and wholeness? Lord, I pray for financial provision, God. I, I just pray for every single miraculous need that's represented in this room right now that you would, you would minister to us, that you would show your power, that you would demonstrate to us, Lord, that you are still in the miracle business and you're still at work doing, doing mighty deeds, God. We thank you that, Lord, you, you, still, you still say yes to our petitions. And so I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You can go ahead and be seated. So three weeks ago, uh, we started a, a sermon series on spiritual gifts. And we've been working our way through 1 Corinthians. We started in chapter 12, verse 1, and we've been working our way through that. And I'm, I'm intending for us to stay in this topic for a while. We're probably going to take a break in December because of Advent and to spend some time reflecting on the incarnation. Uh, but we're, we're working our way. We're going to go through 1 Corinthians. Today, we're going to finish um, chapter 12. And then um, next week, we'll start chapter 13. And then by by the time we're all done with this, we'll go through chapter 14 too. And we're just talking about the subject of spiritual gifts. Um, and we're working our way through this chapter 12 right now. And I want to catch up just a little bit uh, if you've missed the last couple of weeks. And um, the first sermon we talked about, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And we discussed how the Holy Spirit has been given to us to help us discover our purpose as well as to empower us to carry out God's ministry. And I think it's really important for us to all acknowledge that our ministry is, is Jesus' ministry. Like when people ask, like, well, what's the vineyard all about? I mean, I really think that the best way to answer that question is, you know, our mission is to join God's mission. Like whatever God's about, we want to be about. Amen? Like, our ministry is to continue the ministry of Jesus. How many of you appreciated the ministry that Jesus did back in the day? Yeah? Like, when you read the Gospels, you see him healing people and raising people from the dead and, and teaching about the kingdom of God and helping people, you know, who are outside and maybe um, on the outskirts of, of the community of God's people, and he brings them in. Like, if you like that, then I hope you realize that that's what we're called to do is to continue Jesus' ministry. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, Paul essentially is saying, hey, you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've been given the presence and power and the person of the Spirit so that you can discover your purpose. You can have an idea of what giftings you have, and then you can join God's mission. And then we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26, and we, 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 we see that Paul is teaching that the church is full of individuals 
but they collectively formed the body of Christ. So like, I'm not the church, we are the church. I'm not the body of Christ, we are the body of Christ. And then he also talks a little bit in that passage about how there's diversity in our gifting, but we're united by our purpose in joining God's mission. And, and I mean, he uses the illustration of the body, right? Like you have hands, you have feet, you have ears, you have eyes, and all these different body parts are necessary for a healthy functioning body. And so today we're gonna look a little bit closer at some of the gifts um, that I think are a little bit controversial, a little bit controversial, yet I also think that they're necessary. And so that's why I wanna work slowly through uh, 1 Corinthians and talk about these things because I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding about spiritual gifts and we might as well spend some time talking about it. So this is where we left off. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 through 31. And this is what Paul, the apostle, writes. He says, all of you together are Christ's body. Did you hear that? All of you Important word, together. I'm glad that we can read. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts that God has appointed for the church. Important word there is some. These are just some of the parts. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages? Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. I love this passage of scripture. I love this passage of scripture because it starts out with that phrase, all of you together are, are Christ's body. And here's the thing that Paul's been doing. Paul's been actually, I mean, like this chapter is so rich. It's rich with encouraging things. It's rich with challenging things. It is absolutely rich with, with things that Paul really wants the church to understand. And I love the, the letter, the first letter to, to the Corinthian church because I think the Corinthian church is probably like the quintessential church. I mean, like most churches, we, do, we try to do a lot of good things and there's a lot of things we need to work on. Like that's every church, right? And the Corinthian letter feels like it's always an affirmation to be like, okay, so like all the churches that Paul was, was interacting with, most of them were pretty messed up. Like we wouldn't have these letters if they had it all figured out, right? Like they're, they're ad hoc letters. They're in the midst of these challenges and practicality of trying to apply their faith. Paul's writing letters to help them understand how to live, live for the kingdom of God. And so we have this thing where Paul's been emphasizing a couple of reoccurring ideas in 1 Corinthians. Up to this point, he said that the Holy Spirit gives unique and specific spiritual gifts to all followers of Jesus. Now, I've said this three weeks in a row now, so here's what this means. If you are a human being in this room, if you are breathing in this room, and if you are a follower of Jesus, you have spiritual gifts, all of you. So, like, I know it's 
really common for people to not know what they are, and that's definitely something we can talk about. But here's the reality is that everybody in this room has spiritual gifts. All of you. Like, there's nobody here who's like, well, gosh, shucks, gee whiz, I don't have any. (laughs) No. Like, Paul is saying everybody, everybody has been given unique and specific spiritual gifts um, and, and all followers of Jesus fit into that. Also, we're, we're discovering that followers of Jesus collectively, collectively and together make up the body of Christ. And that's gonna flesh out for some particular things in a moment here, but that's an important thing. It's, it's us, the church is a community of people. It's not just me, it's a community of people. And then finally, the church, for the church to be healthy and to be functional, in other words, for us to be able to carry out the mission of God to be, uh, to be effective at, at loving people well and trying to help them connect with Jesus. Everyone has to operate in their spiritual gifts. And I think what we can see here subtly, and there's a lot of texts of scripture that just say it out li- outright, you know, like Hebrews talks about, do not neglect the assembly of the church. I think the thing that we can see here, though, that Paul is giving us is he's telling us why being a part of the local church matters. Because you can't do these things in the isolation of yourself. You have to be in community to carry these things out. So never mind the fact that the church is called to be a family that loves one another and encourages us, because I think those things are true. Amen? Those are true statements. Never mind those things, though. In addition to that, we can't actually carry out our purposes and help each other grow if we're not in community. And so the church, I think, has to be seen as the community of God's kingdom, and it's where we learn how to use our spiritual gifts, as well as it's a place for us to use our spiritual gifts. Like, just for a moment here, I'm just kind of curious. How many of you, just by a show of hands, if you'd be willing to participate, would acknowledge and say, hey, I think I have this spiritual gift, but I'm not really sure how to use it. Anybody feel that way? Just out of curiosity? Okay, some of you do. Like, I think I have this spiritual gift, but I don't know how to use it. And that's the thing. Paul is saying that, hey, we, in the context of the church, we actually can, can grow in our ability to utilize those gifts. Now, we'll get real honest and say, how many of you have a spiritual gift and you just ain't using it right now? That's what I thought. Oh, one of two of you. Wow, some honest people in the room. The rest of you are like. So here's the deal, though, is that Paul is saying that you can't do all of this stuff by, by yourself alone. And, and part, of, part of what we're talking about right now, the reason why we're spending some time fleshing this out is because, you know, other churches have the freedom to do their things the way that they do them. And I'm not here to like, you know, throw shade and judge the way they do them. But one thing about the Vineyard in particular is that our movement has always been a movement that emphasizes that everyone gets to play. Everybody. So like we do not believe it's just one or two people in our church community that have all the spiritual gifts and they're supposed to do it all. Amen? Like we've always been a church community that says everyone gets to play. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a human being, if you are a, a person who, who breathes, you actually can participate and, and you can do the things. You can do the stuff. You can, you can actually serve in a way that makes a difference. And this is exactly what the Bible teaches. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter four, okay? Because I think sometimes it's easy to think about how like, well, the people who are supposed to do the ministry are the pastors, but that's not what Paul says. He says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. 
He mentions the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. What is their responsibility? He says, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. And what is part of their work? To build up the church, the body of Christ. And so Paul is, is saying, hey, listen, you have these spiritual gifts, and you've been given these spiritual gifts to be able to participate in the things of the kingdom. And so get in the game. Get in the game. There's no reason why you can't be a part of the game. Um, here's another aspect of, of why I think Paul's talking about the importance of being in community, though. Have you ever read the Bible and come, apro- come across a phrase that you're like, whoa, that's hard? Anybody? Yeah? All the time? Yeah. I mean, have you? Like, oh my gosh. The other day, I was reading the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it's like, man, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus just, oh. He's like, you have to bless those that persecute you. And I'm like, I want to bless them, all right. (laughs) Like, you know, how the southern people bless like, oh, bless your heart. I mean, that is, that is a really hard and challenging and difficult commandment, right? But here's the thing. There's tons of them. In, in fact, um, I've been, for years, I've been, I've been making a list. Every time I find what I call a one another verse in the Bible, I, I write it down. I add it to this list. And, and I, I, there are, as far as I can tell, there are 59 one another verses in the New Testament. There's 59 times where Jesus or the apostles say, you must blank one another. I mean, just listen to some of these these texts, okay? I mean, just a few of them. I mean, be at peace with one another. Love one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another, just as Christ has accepted you. Have equal concern for one another. Carry each other's burdens. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other. Encourage each other. You can't do all these one another's by yourself, right? I mean, if it was just you, you'd be really good. You'd be able to, like, I am so good at obeying the scriptures, right? It's, it's only in the context of community that the challenges of the one another thing, it's where the rubber hits the road. And I think this is also going to compel us to really understand why we need to have the power and presence of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. Because truth be told, it's as soon as we get into community where we start to try to do these things that we realize that mostly we want to just choke people. True? I mean, like, when you're around people, you're like, oh, my gosh, I just need to go back to being all by myself in my room. I am such a good Christian when I'm by myself. (laughs) I am like, I'm serious. I'm like the best Christian. I'm like, oh, my gosh, so holy. Jesus, I love you, right? But it's in community when we start to carry out this, this vision of living our faith out in a way that actually takes the teachings of the Bible seriously, that, in, that, in that endeavor, when we begin to, to dive into that world, we begin to become really aware of the fact that we have to have God's grace. 
We have to have his presence. We have to have the Holy Spirit's leadership and empowerment in these different ways. And that's what Paul is talking about here. I, I mean, like, the, the more I've been hanging out in 1 Corinthians 12, and I've been reading it over and over again, it's like Paul is, I love Paul because he's, he's, he's using metaphor after metaphor. He's using analogy after analogy. He's saying, he's repeating himself over and over again, and what he's really wanting us to understand is, like, listen, the church has been given the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And that same spirit which raised Christ from the dead now lives inside of you. You have an untapped resource of power potential if you would just simply respond to his invitation with yes. And if you would, if you would serve sacrificially, if you would be obedient to these things, and if you would regularly enter into community, you would actually see a difference in, in people's lives. I mean, this is not rocket science here, is it? But it's hard, isn't it? It's not rocket science, but it's very hard. And so this is what Paul, I think, is doing here. He's, he's saying that your faith in Jesus isn't supposed to be done in private or in isolation. He's saying that your faith needs to be done in community. And it's in the context of community that lots of things to happen. I mean, people always ask, well, what exactly is the church supposed to be, at, be about? I'm like, man, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm like... I have been pastoring for 20-something years, and I'm still trying to figure that out. But I can tell you this. I believe in a God who can simultaneously do one million things at one time. And I think when we come to this place, some of us walk into this room, and we are super discouraged, and we need to see someone smile, and we need to hear someone say, someone say welcome to the vineyard. It's good to see you. And other people came, and they've already had six shots of espresso, and they are like, I'm here to welcome you. You know, like... There's all these things happening. And it's, it's some, of us, some of us need to be on the receiving end where like I really am not at a good place where I can pray for somebody. I need prayer. And then there's somebody who's like, well, I have been prayed up all week and I can't wait to pray for you right now. Right? We, that's what church is. Church is supposed to be a place where we, we give and receive. We receive and we give. Like that's the community of the kingdom that Paul is talking about here. So here's the thing about spiritual gifts, though. It's just, I don't know, for whatever reason, having grown up in church my whole entire life, I just have found that we make spiritual gifts so complicated, like so complicated, so, so complicated. You know, in some churches, spiritual gifts are kind of like the ultimate test for your spiritual maturity. Like, it's the only thing. In fact, the type of church that I went to for a while I swear to you, every sermon was about spiritual gifts. Like, and I was like, I guess no one ever needs to have any sermons on marriage. Or, you know, well, what about raising your kids? Or what about sharing my faith? It's like every single sermon was always about spiritual gifts. And so it's really interesting how there's some churches where it's the ultimate test of whether or not you are spiritually mature. Um, but it's also a really controversial topic in that there's some churches that actually teach that specific spiritual gifts are no longer for today, and so we shouldn't even talk about them. Like, let's just put them under the rug and just pretend they don't exist. And it's really interesting how the topic of the Holy Spirit and the topic of spiritual gifts has led to a lot of church splits when, in fact, the Holy Spirit was given to bring unity to the church. And so I think what we have to do is we have to talk about these things. Uh, I, I remember hearing at one church I attended, 
that speaking in tongues was the only sign of having the Spirit. And like, that sounds crazy to some of you, but some of you have been in churches that teach that. I have. I've also heard that speaking in tongues isn't for today. And some of you are like, what is speaking in tongues? Okay, we'll get there. But neither of these ideas are taught in the Bible. And I think having a better understanding of spiritual gifts is important. Okay, listen to what Paul says. He started this out in chapter 12, verse 1. He said, Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities or spiritual gifts the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. So Paul is saying, hey, you should not be confused by these things. I think if you are being confused or you feel confused, then we should talk about it. And that's why he, he writes these chapters for us to, to wrestle with. And so let's just look at some of these controversial gifts for just a, just a few moments here, okay? So he, li- he makes this list. He talks about apostles, prophets, teachers, those who do miracles, the gift of healing, helping, gift of leadership, unknown languages. I'm going to venture to guess that apostle were like, I think Paul was an apostle, like that's probably okay. And then prophets, eh, I'm not so sure about that. And then teachers, I had a teacher when I went to school, <laughs> right? Like that's not me, not so controversial. Um, but the miracles or the gift of healing, those might be controversial you're not really sure about. And then he talks about helping others. And I think everybody in the room has been around somebody who's got the gift of helping. You're probably really comfortable. Is there anybody uncomfortable with the gift of helps? No, everybody's like, oh, we could use more of that at our house, right? And then he talks about the gift of leadership. And then he talks about unknown languages, which other translations will translate as the, the um, speaking in tongues or, or the gift of tongues. And so I just want to, what I want to do just really, really quickly, I, I want to just give you what I what I think are some really helpful definitions and understandings of these specific roles and these specific functions um, for us. And so like apostles, you know, um, we think of apostles, I, I generally think we think of people who write the Bible or people who have a lot of authority, you know, and I, I don't know what you think, but the word literally means sent ones. The Greek word means sent one. Um, I think in the Bible you see that these are church planters, these are missionaries. Um, oftentimes, they have translocal ministry. Um, they oftentimes are like hearing from God and discovering new ideas that are helpful to applying um, ministry things in today's world. Um, and so the question of, are there still apostles? Because some people don't think. They think that when the apostles died, there's no more. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. I think that there are apostles today. I just don't really enjoy people who call themselves apostles. Like, oftentimes when they're like, I'm an apostle, it's like they're using a power authority type thing on you. But, but they are people in the Bible that, that Jesus says are gifts to the church. Prophets, I think these are people who hear from God and share encouraging, comforting, and strengthening words with others. Paul gives that definition in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. Um, teachers, these are people who are gifted and trained to educate people about the Bible and applying um, the Bible to life. Those who do miracles, these are people who I think um, they minister, God ministers through them to do supernatural and miraculous things um, on somewhat regular basis. They can do, they, they accomplish extraordinary things. I'm just curious, uh, by the way, how many of you in the room would say that you have actually witnessed or experienced a, an actual miracle? Anybody in the room say that? A few of you have? Okay, some of you are like, I'm not really sure I may have 
Anybody like not sure? I've had some weird things happen though. I ate some pizza, woke up, had a couple dreams. I don't know. <laughs> like it, it is interesting. I'm, I'm reading this book right now, and it's on miracles. And and um, the author's name is Craig Keener, and he's a uh, Duke-trained New Testament scholar, and he. Um, wrote this book, and it's, it's two volumes, actually, and they're both like that, that thick, and it starts out with um, exploring why in our world we're so anti-miracle. Have you known, noticed that? The Western worldview just assumes all the time that miracles are not possible, right? Like, have you ever talked to somebody and you're trying to tell them that something that maybe involves God, and you're like starting to realize the person talking to you thinks you're crazy? Yeah? So this author writes this book to basically explore um, why miracles are, are part of the world we live in. And then the second half of the book, it's just this huge book, is just story after story of documented miracles that have happened in the recent history of, of humanity. And it's a really, really great book. But one thing that I've, I find myself um, wrestling with is, is do I actually be, believe in miracles? Because I feel like sometimes... If we're honest, when somebody asks for prayer, for healing, do you ever say, yeah, I'll, I'll totally pray for you? Like, oh, yeah, I'm adding that to my prayer list. Do any of you do that and then not pray? Just be honest. Any of you ever say, oh, yeah, I'm totally praying for you and not, we just do it all the time, right? It's like, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Not really. Like, we just have these things we say. And so I've been thinking a lot about that with, with miracles. Do we actually believe in miracles? Do we actually believe? Because sometimes when I pray for people to get healed, I'm starting to pray, and I'm already thinking about how I'm going to explain to them why they haven't been healed. <laughs> right? But if we actually believe that God gives mirac does miracles, then we would have more faith, wouldn't we? And so I think we need to be people who have a grid for this. Not in a crazy, weird way, but I mean, I think where we can say, hey, there are certain people who seem to function in miraculous ways. They, they, they operate in this way, and that's what Paul's saying. They are, there's those who do miracles. Um, then he talks about the gift of, of healing. He mentions the gift of helps. These are the kind of people that say what needs to be done, and then they do it. He talks about the gift of leadership, people who have wisdom, who are discerning, who set an example. And in the vineyard context, we've always kind of said, hey, our understanding of leadership is upside down. Like our leaders are not people that need to tell you that they are their, your leaders. They're people who demonstrate that by serving. That's always the goal. And then this whole thing about speaking in tongues, what is that? I'll give you the easiest definition of what that, that is is that I think that the Bible teaches that someone who speaks in tongues or prays in tongues is praying in a language they do not understand, but it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 is going to actually give us a grid for how that gift should be used. Because what Paul says is that if someone operates in the gift of tongues, somebody has to interpret it. And the reason why is because it has to build up the body. It has to be something we can all say amen to. And so we'll talk about that soon. But I think Paul's point here, when laying out all these different roles, is less about titles and roles and more about encouraging us to function in our gifting. And, and, and what this means is that we have to really take our relational aspect of our faith seriously. And so here's what I want to end with. Paul says something remarkable and also very insightful at the end of chapter 12. Listen to what he says. He says, so you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. 
But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. You should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. Well, which gifts are those? Which gifts are those? This is what I think Paul's saying. He's gonna go on to say that the context for all spiritual gifts needs to be love, okay? He's gonna say, if you can't love somebody, don't even try to operate in some supernatural, powerful ministry. He's gonna say it has to be done in love. And love means that I'm gonna actually care about how I carry out spiritual gifts or how I, I minister them to people, right? Like if you've ever watched certain television stations with preachers on the stage and they're like slapping people in the face, right? I'm like, I don't know if that's the most loving way to do it, right? Like if I went forward to get prayer and someone slapped me in the face, I, I, I don't know how I'd feel about that. It'd be a little weird, right? But what, what he's saying is he's trying to say is he's saying love is the context for spiritual gifts. So I think perhaps a better way to get to the answer to this question about what are the most desirable gifts is to say what is the most loving thing that is needed in this moment? What is the most loving thing? And this is what I think happens in charismatic churches, churches like ours, where we're like, we're like, yeah, we believe in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We want to see the kingdom come. We believe in prophecy. We believe in healing. You need to discover your gift. And all of you are like, oh, man, I'm going to figure out my gift. And then you find out that, hey, I think I have the gift of healing. I, my hands get warm, and I pray for people, and sometimes they get healed. And that might be true. And what happens, though, is that you can get pigeonholed. I think this happens a lot of times. Like, well, my gift my gift is teaching, I'm a teacher, or my gift is helping. And so then what happens, let's just say you're a teacher and somebody's sick and they walk up to you and say, hey, will you pray for me? And you say, hmm, wish I could, but not my gifting. <laughs> I'm a teacher. So I wish I, could, I wish I could pray for you, but it's just not something I do. I took a spiritual gift test and it revealed to me that I'm a teacher, so I can't help you. You see, how that actually misses the point. Like what Paul is saying here, I think he's making it really clear here. He's saying, you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. So the question is, what is most helpful in this situation that I find myself in? And so if you discover somebody who needs you to pray for them for healing, let me break news for you. This is amazing, okay? The same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to raise the dead dwells inside of you, and you can actually pray for the Holy Spirit to heal somebody. Amen. Isn't that amazing? Amen. Like, we don't have to, like, take a test and then get it figured out. And so this is the, this is the posture I think Paul is getting us to, to, to take, is to have this posture where we say, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, would you help me help other people? Would you help me Help other people experience the radical love of Jesus. Would you help me help other people come to experience the grace and mercy that your kingdom demonstrates? Let's stand. So I really wonder... What if, what if all of us in this room started to live our lives with this posture of God, 
whatever spiritual gift is needed in whatever moment I find myself, whatever is most helpful, would you please give it to me? Like, what would, what would it look like if we did that? Could you imagine the things that could be accomplished for God's kingdom? Like, if you're in your place of work, maybe you're a stay-at-home dad, or maybe you, you're at school, or wherever you're at, you know, you're just, you're living your life, and you begin to interact with people, and if, if you had more of a posture that just said, hey, God, what are you up to right now? What are you doing right now, Holy Spirit? And how can I partner with you? Like, how can I bless God what you're doing? Because I want to tell you something that I believe with all of my heart. I believe this with all of my heart. There is not a human being alive that God is not currently working in. He's at work. He is at work in people's lives. And for years, I, can t- I mean, I'm telling you, I, I all through you know, studying theology in my undergrad, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to like know everything about the Bible and understand theology. I go to grad school, I want to learn all about theology and I got to have all the answers. And I, for years, had this feeling like if I can't answer all these questions, you know, like they won't, they won't know God. And it was like this assumption that I had to like make things happen with all the right answers because God was not going to be at work in people's lives until I stepped on the scene. And I know that sounds ridiculous now, just so you know. But when I started realizing that God was already at work in the world around us and that he was already, he was already wooing people and revealing himself to people. You know, I, I talk to people all the time and they're like, yeah, I was out, you know, in the mountains the other day and, and I just was looking up and like, there's no way there's not a God. And I'm like, yeah, because creation is revealing the handiwork of God. And so there's not a human being that God is not at work in, uh, in, around you. And so if you can just start to po- posture yourself to be more, more relational and more obedient and more open to what God's doing, I think that you can see a lot of great things happen, amen? Let's pray. So here's what I want to do. Um, I just have this sense that um, what the Holy Spirit wants us to kind of just lead into right now is is that there are a a few of you in this room right now where um, the primary thing that's keeping you from operating in the gifts that God's given you, and what I mean by that is the gifts, the abilities, the passions, the, the callings, whatever it is, What's preventing you from doing that is fear. Like you're afraid that you'll do it wrong. Um, You're afraid that you don't know enough. You're afraid that you're not perfect. And what I believe God wants to do this morning is I think he wants to free you from that fear. And so here's what we're going to do. Um, no pressure if you aren't comfortable with this. You do not have to participate. But if that 
describes where you're at. If fear is something that's preventing you from living in community, if fear is preventing you from, from carrying out the things that you know God has placed inside of you, I'm just gonna ask you to come forward right now. We're just gonna pray for you. Is there anybody here who would say, yeah, fear's been, been a thing? I know there's more of you, and I just want to say this, because again, there's you know, no pressure. We're not like keeping track of how many people come forward or anything weird like that. But I just think it's interesting how, you know, in the Bible over and over again, we read that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I do want you to know that like you, you saying, yes, I, I would like prayer for that, I think is an act of humility. And I have found that oftentimes in my own life, when I go forward, even though I hate doing that, when I do that, God always meets me. And so I'm just going to say this one more time. If you have fear in your life and it's preventing you from being able to live out the things that you know God's placed inside of you, I really think that you need to receive prayer today. And so if, if that's you, we want to pray for you. Is there anybody else? So here's what I'd like to have happen too. Um, so our leadership team, our ministry team folks who meet with me and things like that, Barry and Kim. Um, and if you, if you feel Bill and Katie, uh, if you've been a part of the vineyard, you've, you know how to pray for people, would you be willing to come up and just lay hands on some of these folks right now? If you're a weirdo, you don't have to do it. <laughs> and so again, if there's anybody that wants prayer at all, we would love to pray for you. So let's just pray right now for these folks. And if you're hanging out back there, you can just join us in praying too. And so Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would remove fear. I pray that you would give each one of these men and women um, boldness and confidence to, to know that they've been called by you, they've been empowered by you, they have been gifted by you, and that you will never leave them nor forsake them in the midst of the things that you're calling them and inviting them into. I pray for Wes right now, Lord. I just pray that you would give him, Lord, an overwhelming sense of your your calling, that he would not be confused about it anymore, but he would know exactly how he's supposed to use his mouth for your for your glory. That Wes, I just have a sense that you're like God's put some things inside of you to say. And so he he just wants you to feel the freedom to do that. And so folks um, who are praying up here, just go ahead and pray. Don't, don't stop because of us. 
And for the rest of us, Father, I pray, Lord, for your kingdom to come in each one of our lives. I pray for you to fill our hearts with your love and that we would become advocates and ambassadors for your kingdom as we go from this place of gathering to scattering into the community around us. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Folks, we'll see you next Sunday. We're going to keep praying up here, so if you could kind of keep your talking out in the foyer, that'd be awesome.